Well, I'm going to pray for, for Adam, and uh, let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for, for your word, which is our standard, Lord. It's a canon. It's a measuring stick. It's, we put ourselves under the authority of your word. And Lord, I thank you for Adam today. Thank you for he and Laura being here. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through your servant Adam, that you would give him great joy and freedom as he brings your word today, Lord. Uh, we are eager to hear from you through him today, Lord. So I pray for your blessings on him. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give Adam a big hand for being here. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Tim. It is a, an honor to be here with you guys and to preach uh, the Word of God with you in a place that's just a few minutes from where I grew up. I will say, though, one thing I really remember about Tim is that his office door was always open, and I can't honestly say I remember ever seeing him working. He was always playing some kind of funk music. He kind of introduced me to disco in a cool way. He had multiple wigs and hats in his office. So as a middle schooler walking in there to visit my dad, I'd be wearing an Afro wig or playing with like a Yoda doll and like five minutes after being with you. So I, I remember the fun that you brought to fellowship for sure. And, and really, in a lot of ways, that's how church should feel more like family, right? It should feel more fun like that. So it, it's a joy to be with you. Um, as, as Tim mentioned, uh, me and my wife, Laura, are moving to London, England, and so I'll share a little bit about that. But if you want to know more, I'd love to share that with you and kind of our journey of, of raising support and saying, God, we're going to obey you and take this step of obedience. Have you all been talking about obedience recently? Just a little bit? Just a little bit? Well, in our own journey of that, then probably for you as well, there's a lot of highs and lows and would love to share more of that with you. But it is Father's Day. There's, I can actually see bouquets, not of roses, but of Slim Jims. I like the bouquet, the overflow of the Slim Jim. You might have a few left over. You might. Um, but I want to show you my favorite scene as a dad. And it's this right here. It's Lucy Margaret Watson, two years old, going on 22, um, running into my arms saying, Daddy, Daddy. It, does it get better than that, Dads? I mean, you want to just capture that moment and kind of bottle that up. It's like, I wish I could just keep that forever. And those moments are precious. And if I'm excited to drop whatever I'm doing, how much more is my Heavenly Father willing to drop things get down on a knee and just receive me and receive you into his arms. Isn't that just such a, a simple, beautiful picture that we forget about every single day when we're worried about the things in this world, that that's how he wants to receive us. And so God has entrusted her to us. And a few weeks ago, we found out we're having a baby boy. And I didn't realize how excited I was that we we're having a boy instead of a girl. I kind of let out this like tribal yell when I saw blue confetti in the air. And I was like, man, I'm having a boy. Because I had kind of resigned that I was the only like male in my family. I was like, we're doing a gender reveal. I'm going to be the only one. I must defend these girls. And then I saw blue and I was like, let's go. It's time. So Laura still has vetoed the name Abraham Solomon. But <laughs> I might get one biblical name. We'll see, see what she lets me do. Um, but we, uh, this past year, and again, we'll share more of this later, we decided to ask the Lord, where do you want us to go? And for the last 10 years, we've honestly been praying, are we pastors or missionaries? Are we goers or senders? And in that process of transition, which has felt forever, 
uh, we've been asking God, what do you want us to do? How can we obey you? And yet there's been so many joys along the way. There's been so many ministry opportunities along the way. But we decided to put our stuff in storage and say, here we go, God. And so that was a, a, about an eight-week vision trip with an 18-month-old at the time, which only the Holy Spirit and a great wife can get you through that. And so we went and we thought we were going to either North Africa or the Middle East. Uh, but God had different plans for us. And so you can see this picture right here is us very happily and excitedly uh, praying and going. And this is part of our journey. And we just happened to have to go to London before we went to North Africa and the Middle East. That's just probably the best layover I've ever had in my life. And God used that to actually invite us into what he's called us to do there now. Um, you might not know this, but at one point, London was 88% Christian. And now it is in the 2% range in central London. And it will really play into what we're talking about today of generational discipleship. Um, that It was not passed from one generation to the next. The, the word of God was not. And we actually see that uh, the neighborhood that we are being called to move into is over 40% Muslim, 2% Christian, and the rest would really say they're either atheist or into new age uh, movement. And so it's a completely different world than it was just 100 years ago in London. And God's called us to a place that, where they speak English, but there are street signs in Arabic. And we have an opportunity to plant a church and also send people to the nations. And what God has opened the door for with our background is that we're actually going to be praying and sending people uh, from London, from the many cultures and many nations living in London, back to their home country to share the gospel. And so he's really re-evangelizing uh, London as he sends people, and that's what God is, is doing. And so this is actually the, the oldest um, uh, training center for imams, kind of like a seminary, but for Muslims. And this is in North Africa. And we prayed there and we asked, God, would you show us if you want us to be here and time and time again, there was opportunity and opportunity to encourage local leaders, which I think you guys are very into. And I love to see the, the report from Rome just a few weeks ago and see what God was doing through Tim and others there. Uh, but this is a place that is full of darkness, full of darkness. And it's so many people that are so close to the gospel, but they are missing Jesus. And so we prayed and we kept sharing the gospel and seeing God do things, but yet he rerouted us in a way that we could never have imagined. But all along the way, uh, Lucy was paying attention. And if you look closely there, you'll see Lucy kind of catching on to what mommy and daddy are doing. Now I look at that picture, and the first time I looked at that picture, my chest kind of swelled up with some pride. I was like, hey, that's my little girl. And I was like, oh my goodness, I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> that's the Holy Spirit, that's God doing something. That's a little child observing her father and mother's work and saying, I think this is what I'm supposed to do too. This is what we do, right, Daddy? She didn't have the words for this. She didn't know what was going on. She just saw people laying hands over and over and over. And she thought, I'm supposed to do that too. And when you and me are following our father, you might not really know what you're doing. Am I the only one? You might really not have it figured out. You might not have the words to say, this is what I'm called to do. Anybody ever struggled with that question? Man, what am I supposed to do next? How am I supposed to love my wife, my kids? How am I supposed to do this? I says, Father, 
follow our Father and see what He has to say. And so as we jump into the Word today, it's okay to have that Father's Day thing in your mind because a lot of this is going to be uh, the Apostle Paul sharing with his spiritual son, Timothy, what it looks like to follow Jesus, what it looks like to endure, and what it looks like to be strengthened by him. So if you have your Bibles, turn in 2 Timothy to chapter 2. And this might be a familiar passage to some of you because I hear that y'all really like discipleship around here. And there's some good discipleship truths in this passage. And I know you want to be disciples and make disciples. And so verse 2 says a lot about that. But as we look at 2 Timothy 2, there's kind of a big overall theme that I want to encourage you. And if I've got kind of one shot to, to give you, it would be be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And so as we look at this together, if you're taking notes and you're with me today, uh, be strengthened is going to be kind of our first thing and our overall thing. But then we're going to look at what it means to entrust the gospel to others and what it means to endure suffering for the sake of the gospel. And so this first part of being strengthened is huge for us. Uh, we need to be strengthened. And Paul, telling his spiritual son Timothy, knows this. This is actually Paul's second letter to Timothy. And some might say it's even his, his third because Timothy was the first bishop or pastor, if you will, of Ephesus. And so Paul is writing the letter of 2 Timothy to his spiritual son Timothy while Paul is in jail in Rome, ironically, where Tim was recently. And he's writing from a jail cell as an old man. And we know that 2 Timothy, the book of 2 Timothy, is the last book that the Apostle Paul wrote. And so these are an old man's last words, a father's last words, if you will, to his spiritual son saying, these are the things I desire for you. These are the things that are most important. And so as we look at this, I would encourage you, regardless of your earthly father experience, regardless of where you're at and where you think God's calling you to go, what he's calling you to do, how he's calling you to serve, or even if you're part of this church or not, would you receive this from someone who loves you? Because Paul's writing this in a way that's saying, I love you. I want you to know this. And with great affection, he's writing to what he calls my child, you then my child, you my son in the faith. And just experience a little bit of that sonship that God might want for you. That maybe you've never experienced that, that maybe he wants you to taste that today. And so we see in 2 Timothy 2, let's begin in verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. That first part there, you then, my child, you then. What is he saying, you then, after? That's important for context, right? And what he's saying that after is this exhortation or encouragement where in chapter one, he tells Timothy to fan in the flame the gift that he's been given. Fan into flame all of the things you've been given, all of the, the blessing, all the really, the relationships, the family. He had a godly family. His mother and grandmother followed him, followed Jesus rather. There was this beautiful heritage that Timothy had. There was this anointing that he had. There was this gifting he had. 
And he was this young guy that was called to lead the church in Ephesus, a very godless place. And if you read the book of Ephesians, you'll see in that book over and over, Paul's letter to the church of Ephesus has a lot to do with spiritual warfare. And so this young guy is put in charge of this. And Paul is saying, hey, with all of that, remember this. With all of that, my child, my son, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. With all of that stuff we just talked about, be strengthened, not in your own works, not in your heritage, not what you think you have going on for you, not your bank account, not your credit score, whatever you think is going on for you. That's not where you're finding your identity. Find it in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Just be strengthened. And Paul, writing this from a jail cell, knows that Timothy is going to need to be strengthened. As an older man to a younger man, there's going to be hard things. There will be hard things, and there are hard things. This beautiful picture of this sonship, though, of my child, I want you to know these things because I love you. Again, Father's Day, you might be you know, loving that it's Father's Day. You might think it's just dismissing it. In fact, I read somewhere that Father's Day is the 22nd most celebrated holiday in America. I mean, it's, that's pretty low, right? Like, that's after Arbor Day, I think. And so Mother's Day, it's like up here. I mean, we had a scheduled like, itinerary for Mother's Day in our house. Father's Day, my dad literally got a back scratcher yesterday. That's it. Mother's Day, we had family pictures. We had a catered meal. Father's Day, we had to find our food. Okay, there's a completely different attitude towards this. But when we look at fathers and we think of how might we, we fit into this, we often see ourselves as workers for God. Anybody experienced that before? If I do this, then he'll love me. And we learn that from probably poor relationships with our earthly fathers. Even the godliest of fathers on this earth is not perfect. And so I think of maybe an analogy, living in Texas the last 12 years, and just a few weeks ago, I was at a buddy's ranch, and his family owns 14,000 acres. And these are the guys that go out and shoot hogs from helicopters and stuff. And they, that's like a hobby for them. I'm like, I'm stepping into a whole new world here, okay? And so as I'm out there and I'm like, man, where does this land stop? I'm looking around and it's like, kind of like Lion King, like everything the light touches is yours except the Shadowlands. You know, that's, that was the feeling I had. I was like, this is cool. It's not mine. And so I'm looking out and I'm, I'm thinking, man, what happens if we get into a wreck out here? I mean, who's going to find us? And so I'm talking with my friend Taylor and we're, we're processing some of this, you know, the whole what if scenario. And thinking of like, man, if, if me and Taylor get into a wreck, like they're just going to send out the Calvary and we're going to call and dad's going to say, hey, are you okay? Are you okay? And we're going to be like, okay, we're good. But if one of the workers on the ranch gets into an accident, what do you think the first question is? You would hope it'd be, are you okay? But a worker's probably thinking, man, I, I broke the truck. Something's wrong. I don't want to call my boss and tell them that the truck is broke. And the boss, if he's not a good boss, he's going to hear the phone. And he's going to say, you know, what happened to my truck? Rather than what happened to my son. And you see the difference of values. Some of you are looking at yourselves like you're an old truck. <laughs> you're thinking, man, I'm not worth a whole lot in the kingdom of God. But Jesus... But Jesus 
thought you worthy to die for, to be invited, not as like a granddaughter or grandson in the kingdom of God, but to be a son and a daughter. God has no grandkids. You are his child. And he's invited you into this. And so when Paul's saying, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, one of the things we see there is he's saying, be strengthened by the access through the gospel that you have to be with our Father. Remember Christ Jesus. This idea of being strong is something that we might shy away from even in our culture today. We don't want to be overly masculine. And so hearing words like strong or courageous, we kind of miss out on all that the gospel has for us in that. I think of Joshua 1.9, where the Lord is challenging and encouraging Joshua and tells him, be strong and courageous over and over and over again. And I think that's a message that many of us need today. Be strong and courageous, not by your might, but by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened. Ephesians 2, you might be familiar with this. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Be strengthened. Again, Paul tells Timothy to be strengthened because he knows what he's about to face. He knows he will need this. Just as Jesus, before he goes to the cross, he knows he's needing to encourage them to face persecution. <coughs> Excuse me. And so we see this grace. We see it as a gift. We see it as a challenge. We see it as an encouragement. Um, but we also see it as comfort. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. My child, be strengthened. Sometimes Lucy, if she's in the back seat of the car, even like this morning, She'll be crying out for snack, snack, snack. You know, I'm thinking, what does this girl want? She's had like five snacks. She needs comfort. She's asking for daddy's hand to come back to the back seat. Not like the dad that's like, I'm going to come back there. Do you want me to come back there? No, it's saying, I need comfort. This grace he gives is a gift. And we need to see it as a gift. And it is worth entrusting or giving to others. We look at verse two there and we see that Paul says this. He says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men or women who will be able to teach others also. Now, this is really something that I think is a part of your vision of being and making disciples. But I think it's something that we get lost in often. If you look at verse two, you actually see there's four generations of discipleship there. There's Paul teaching Timothy, who will teach others, and those others are supposed to be able to teach others. Well, I looked at this when I was a college pastor in Texas years ago, and I thought, okay, I'm going to test this verse out. Is this really real? Like if I teach somebody and they can teach somebody else and they can teach somebody else, that'd be awesome. Because I grew up in a church context where the most important thing each week was what happened on this stage right here. Did anybody else grow up in a church like that? It was like preaching was ministry, and that was it. And your gift of preaching was like, hey, that's awesome. And I thought, you know, something's wrong with this. There's a lot of other people in the church. And so as a college pastor and kind of naive, I was challenged by an older mentor in the faith who was discipling me. And he gave me a book that was about the underground church in China. He said, this is how they're discipling people. You should check this out. 
So I said, you know what? I'm going to meet with one guy who's going to meet with one guy who's going to meet with another guy. Well, I took this seriously. And so I had five groups every week, 17 guys a week. And I said, you're not going to be in my group unless you're going to do this with somebody else. Well, that sounded very rude. It wasn't very gracious at all. But God in his mercy used that. And within six months, we had 216 guys reading the Bible every week together. And half of them never came to our church. I thought, God, what are you doing with this? So I began to look at more of what this discipleship means and how it's going to the nations. And what does this look like? What does it look like when Paul says, entrust this message of the gospel and trust what you've heard from me to others who will be able to teach others also. And so I began to learn from people that I have incredible admiration for, especially in the Middle East and North Africa, that have passed their faith on and on and on. And as I looked and kind of gleaned, and especially the church in China, we were able to see, man, they don't all gather in the same room. How are they counting this? Because at one point we knew that there were more Christians in China where you could be thrown in jail for your faith than there were people in America. Say that again. There were more Christians in China than there were people in America. And they were counting this by generations. Generations of disciples. One person discipled one person who discipled another. And they were meeting people, some of these missiologists, as they went in to study what God was doing, what the Spirit of God was doing. 17, 18 generations of disciples. That's, imagine 17 chairs filled from one generation to the next. They're understanding what it means to be a spiritual father, a spiritual son, a spiritual mother, and a spiritual daughter. That it's not just passing from me down to Lucy or to baby Bob, as we're affectionately calling him when we're waiting on a name from the Lord. It's not just those generations. It's these spiritual generations that God has invited us into. And so you say, be disciples and make disciples. Amen. Because you want to be with Jesus and you want to learn to be like Jesus in order to do what Jesus did. And what did Jesus do? He entrusted this message of the gospel to, Acts 4.13 says, to uneducated ordinary men. Can you imagine being in court and they look at you and they point at you and said, hey, you're not that smart, but I can see you've been with Jesus. I mean, I would love to be dumb all day if they looked at me and they said, man, that guy's been with Jesus. Something's different about him. And so we get this command, this encouragement from Paul to Timothy to entrust the gospel. Uh, Howard Hendricks, a, a professor, a former professor, uh, wrote this. He said, Every disciple needs three types of relationships in his life. He needs a Paul who can mentor him and challenge him. He needs a Barnabas who can come alongside him and encourage him. And he needs a Timothy, someone that he can pour his life into. I think those are good words for us and a good application in many ways for us today. But it comes at a cost, doesn't it? Discipleship comes at a cost. Uh, obedience comes at a cost, as you've been talking about the last few weeks. And I, and I want to just encourage you, it is worth it. It is so worth it. Jesus is so worth it. Uh, if you're considering if your time is worth discipling another person, let me just give you a, a brief example in my own life. Uh, I arrived at a small university in Grand Rapids, Michigan, my freshman year of college, and was very arrogant and very full of myself. 
and thought I was going to take the Holy Spirit into this Christian school in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Okay. And so I was like, man, these people really need Jesus. And like, I needed them. Okay. And so God took me up there and I started to be discipled by a guy that I saw on stage. He was acting as Michael Jackson in a skit on stage. And I was like, that guy's cool. I want to be discipled by him. How those two things went together, I have no idea. But I thought, he's cool. So I started to spend time with this guy named Dave. And Dave was the very opposite of Michael Jackson, uh, praise God. He began to read the Bible with me every single night that I was on campus. We would try to find times to meet up again together. And we read through tons and tons and tons of scripture. And so he was four years older than me. And as we read through the word of God together, it started to change me, which is awesome. But after my freshman year, I began my sophomore year. And we had read through most of the entire Bible together in a year. And he had taken notes over and over again. He'd been faithful to do this. And what neither of us knew was that about two or three weeks after we had completed that, that I was going to be in a, a cancer office. I was in an oncologist's office at 19 years old and was diagnosed with bone cancer as a 19-year-old. And God used that to draw me to himself. But if you want to talk about a picture of discipleship, Dave handed me the Bible that he had been taking notes in for the last year. All the prayers he had prayed for me. All the times that he had really said, man, I wish Adam would be willing to meet up today. I don't know why he's blowing me off to read the word. All of that was in a Bible that he gave me. And he gave me that not knowing what was coming. I didn't know what was coming. But I know that God used that form of discipleship, that dependence, that time together, that life on life to change me. What happened next uh, was that Jesus, through a series of events, would heal me of bone cancer. And in that process, uh, I was deeply humbled, but also called to him in such a cool way. Uh, I knew at 19 when I was diagnosed that I was going to go see Jesus. And that changed the trajectory of my life to be told, you have a 20% chance to live past the next three years. Um, will really mess up your 20s. Um, and so I began to share the gospel uh, really out of urgency. I didn't know how much time I had left. Uh, I had the opportunity to um, see God move in the nations uh, because I was the kid who didn't know what was next. I said yes to every short-term mission trip you can imagine. And so I got to see what God was doing around the world and he spurred my heart on. But in part of that cancer story and in part of that time, uh, I got down to real lean. I'm, I'll just tell you, I'm about 210 pounds right now. I got down to about 160 pounds. I could not bathe myself. I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't do things on my own for several months there at one point. And my father had to lift me up, had to bathe me, had to care for me. And so as I was bathed, I like to think that almost every time I was bathed, it was like a little bit of that pride was washed away. A little bit of that arrogance, a little bit of that youthfulness, where the Lord in his mercy reminded me of how he has loved me. Now, my father is not perfect, but he has literally changed my life by showing me the gospel. I've been discipled by men like Dave and by my father and others. 
but it is a worthy cause to pass and entrust the gospel to the next generation. It is a worthy cause to serve people that are younger than you, to serve people and be taught by people that are younger or older than you, whatever that looks like. It is a worthy cause to lay this down because Jesus is worthy. Amen? Psalm 78 says this, Tell the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done that the generation to come might know even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children that they should put their confidence in God and not forget his works, but keep the commandments of the Lord. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our time. He is worthy of passing on this good news and entrusting this to others. Um, Dunwoody Church, you are... 1,960 years since the time that Paul wrote this and what we're about to read. Uh, That's roughly 78 generations, literal generations, from Paul and Timothy. You sit here with the gospel in your hands to entrust this to the next generation. VBS is not a flippant thing. NASA rockets in the foyer are not a flippant thing. If we don't pass this on to the next generation, it does not get passed on. The church is plan A. He has chosen you and empowered you with the Holy Spirit. And Paul warns Timothy, this is going to be hard. This is not an easy thing to do. This is not a thing that you take lightly. Now, some of you have children in here that have turned away from the faith. And that is a painful thing. And you've been praying for years, would they turn back to Jesus? He will answer those prayers. He knows. I'm the recipient of a mother that prayed, a father that prayed, a grandmother that prayed over and over and over again. And praise God, he set my arrogant butt down in a wheelchair to hear the gospel fresh, to experience the gospel. Paul tells Timothy, And what I think is something that I've personally overlooked for so many years, he says this in verse three, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. You don't see that like on a lot of church advertisements, right? Like, do you see any billboards on 75 that are like, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, right? But that's Paul's echo to Timothy. One of the most important things he wanted him to know. And then he gives these three analogies of what it looks like to endure. Many of you have endured hard things. I don't know your stories of endurance, but Jesus does. I don't know what you've been through that you're saying, God, why? But Jesus does. And often those whys come in the middle of obedience. In the moments you're saying, here I am, Lord, send me. And then your life gets flipped upside down been there. Here I am, Lord. Where do you want me to go? I packed up my whole family. Everything's in storage. Here, let me flip your life upside down and see if you're really ready. You really want to do this? Okay, here we go. And what happens next is a great emptying of yourself and a great exposure to the sin in your heart and a great opportunity to say, here I am, Lord. Send me. I have nothing but you. And that's an invitation from our 
God. Paul tells him to be like a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. There's nothing lazy about a farmer. Have you ever met a lazy farmer? No, because if they're a lazy farmer, they don't eat, right? I mean, have you met a lazy athlete? I mean, if you go to certain gyms, I'm sure you do, you know, but if they're a successful athlete, they're not lazy. This is work. There's a labor. And you think about a soldier, they're willing to sacrifice for the sake of others. They're willing to lay down their life. Paul says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. There is an opportunity to suffer and to choose to suffer, to be enlisted. He says that a soldier does not get entangled in civilian affairs or pursuits. His aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Friends, Jesus has enlisted you into his, his army. Uh, and and I, I love this thought here, but is the great commission good enough for you? Or are you waiting to be commissioned by people around you? Are you waiting for people to notice your gifts so that you can be sent to do things for God? Or are you willing to go because Jesus said go? There's an incredible gift he gives us of endurance. And so we have this picture of, hey, be strengthened by the grace that's in Jesus. Endure this hardship and this suffering. And while you're doing that, keep entrusting this message of the gospel. But I'll say this, without endurance, there is no victory for the soldier Without endurance, there is no wreath for the athlete. Without endurance, there is no harvest for the farmer. Guys, this life is hard, but Jesus is coming. We're going to be with him. This is hard. It gets better. Uh, Tim Keller, right before he died a few weeks ago, he was talking about how ready he was. I mean, what's the worst that can happen to a Christian? It just gets better. You go see Jesus. It gets better, but we have the opportunity to endure not on our own strength, but by the grace that is in Jesus. I think of how Jesus himself, if you picture him as the athlete, picture him as the farmer, picture him here. Look, if Jesus did not wear a gold crown on earth, but instead wore a crown of thorns, what do you think that he wants us to endure with him? Does you think he endured for you? I love that I, when I consider Jesus, I think of how he did what I could not do. He fulfilled what I could not do. He took on, there's no way I could have given my life for anybody the way Jesus did. There's no way I could stand up there and crucify myself on a cross. I can't even physically do it. I can't even get the nails in my hand. He did what we could not do ourselves. And so what does Paul tell Timothy? Well, look at verse eight with me. It says, remember Jesus Christ. I'm telling you to endure, my son, and here's how you do it. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Amen? The word of God is not bound. I love this. Remember Jesus Christ. It's like, have they never talked about this before? He's like, hey, would you just remember, remember that guy, Jesus Christ? Yeah. No, remember Jesus. Remember what happened to me on the road to Damascus? Son, I mean, he appeared to me and he blinded me. And I was led to this house and, and I was prayed over, but Jesus spoke to me. Remember those people I was killing and persecuting? I was the, the chief of sinners, but yet 
Jesus came and met me and asked me to be a part of his life. Remember that story of him healing the woman that was bleeding? I mean, she was so afraid to go up and touch his, to talk to him. She was afraid to enter into his presence. But, you know, all those other rabbis, what would they have done? They would have said, why are you touching me, you unclean person? They would have shamed her in front of everybody. But Jesus says, hey, I feel like this power went out of me and I, I want to lean over and I want to say, how can I bless you? He acknowledges her. What does he call her, man? Timothy, remember. Remember, he called her daughter. The one who thought she was unclean is called daughter. So you have this, this picture here of a father telling a son, remember, 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 remember. Remember Jesus Christ, his suffering, his sacrifice, his love for us. The church, if you are needing to endure, if this is a brutal season for you personally, remember Jesus Christ. Remember his suffering. Do you believe that this gospel is not bound? Man, the gospel is on the move. We are seeing it in the nations. We're seeing it everywhere. There are people that are having dreams and visions. And when you meet up with some of those people, it honestly is kind of hard to disciple them. I'm like, you already met Jesus. Like, I don't know what I need to tell you. He told you everything, you know? And there's this beautiful moments of humility where the global church is partnering in such a way that maybe it hasn't for hundreds of years. And we're seeing the gospel move in different cultures and generations. The guys we're talking to about even planting with or doing ministry with are all over the planet. Um, There's two guys from Brazil, a guy from Nigeria, a guy from Korea, a British guy and me. And we're saying, are our families called to do this together? And as we realize some of this and we're just praying, getting to know each other in this process, we realize all the countries we're from are places that were evangelized by British missionaries several hundred years ago. And we're all bringing the gospel back. And it just reminds me of how important it is to pass this gospel on to the next generation. Paul closes talking to, to Peter with this. If you go to 2 Timothy 2, 10 through 11, I want to read this. And close this out with this this morning. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Isn't that good news? He remains faithful. Jesus is our picture of endurance. He is our picture of entrusting this gospel to others. And so we remember him. We remember Jesus Christ in his suffering we remember what he has done for us. And we are strengthened by his grace and not by our own strength. One of the most encouraging things, uh, one of the most incredible things I get to do is encourage leaders that are serving Jesus in places where it is illegal to share the gospel and really just to be a shoulder to lean on or cry on and be a friend. And some of those men and women 
are the picture of this passage for me. What it means to endure when people have tried to kill you. What does it mean to endure when you've been attacked for your faith, when you've had things taken from you? But the joy I see in their faces and in their hearts is incredible. And it drives me to say, God, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit like these friends right here. I want to know what they know. I want to experience what they are experiencing. And so this endurance is not about ourselves. This entrusting the gospel is not about ourselves, but it is about Jesus' name being passed on from one generation to the next. So I pray that you would be strengthened and encouraged. I pray that you would be built up in your faith, that you would look around this world and you would say, this is not it that you'd look around and you'd say, this is not all that there is. God has something more, and I want to be a part of it. That you would want to partner with what he's doing in the nations, that you'd want to know how you can go, how you can send, how you can be a part of these things. I know your church talks about that, but what is God doing in your heart personally? Guys, time is short. Some of you have 20 years left. Some of you have 50 years left. That's really short. You get to see him face to face. And while I wish no one would go through it, I went through it 19 years old. And yes, I've gone through counseling. I had to process all that stuff. You know, the moment I felt most loved by Jesus was in that office. When I knew, wait, I'm going to die and I get, I'm going to see him? Do you know how fun life gets after that? <laughs> what do we have to lose? We're going to see him face to face. And yet Satan tempts me every day to think that I'm in control of my world. And every day I get to be encouraged and reminded by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So I would love to pray this over you, church, as we close, that you be strengthened. I don't know what you need to be strengthened in, I don't know what is telling you that you're not enough to be a son or a daughter in the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit wants to remind you of what Jesus has done for you. Some of you came to Christ when you were kids. You really followed Jesus in your college years. Maybe you came back to him in your college years, but life has been stagnant. Let's ask him to strengthen us. Let's ask him to give us endurance. And if you've been in the faith for a while, I want to challenge you specifically to ask him for joy. Ask him for joy in this journey. So would you pray with me? Father, I pray right now for everybody at Dunwoody Community Church to be strong in the Lord. Because he gave his all for you, would you give your all for him? One day you will be with him. One day you will reign with Jesus in his beauty, majesty, and, and glory. And because you're going to see him, I pray that you would dread the thought of doing anything that would dishonor his name. Would you love him and, and hate your sin and love him? Dread the thought of doing anything that would leave you ashamed when you come into his presence, yet trusting that his grace, his mercy is enough, would you be strong? 
in faith. Trust that he will never leave you or forsake you. Would you be strong in character and resist temptation and live with integrity in the pure heart? Again, be strengthened by his grace, not by your strength, but by his. Be strong in the gospel, church. Share the good news. Share the good news. He is worthy. His gospel is worthy to be entrusted to others who will teach others also. Endure for the sake of the gospel. Jesus endured the cross that the lost may be found. Entrust this message of the gospel. Jesus, we believe you entrusted the message of the cross to us, your disciples, to share this. So I pray right now, would you strengthen those that are weary and tired? Would you give peace and endurance? Would you give hope? Would you challenge us to entrust this gospel? Thank you that you have given us this good news. Thank you that you suffered where we could not. Thank you that you did not stay in that grave, Jesus. Strengthen us now, in Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna go into a time of communion. And if you've been around Dunwoody for a while, you know there's stations around the room. And so we're gonna actually do this together. So I'd encourage you go now if you can. And uh, we would love for you to come up front or go to the sides. Go ahead and grab uh, the juice and the bread and come back to your seat. And we'll do this together.